the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Spirit of God, if you're really a new creature in Christ, will never ever let you assess yourself the wrong way. Now, if you and I assess ourselves the wrong way, we simply override the honest light that the Holy Ghost casts on us. Colossians 1, verse 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the springboard for our time together today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand. Hi there, and welcome to our program. It is a nation bearing the fruits thereof. Out of Matthew 21, verses 33 through 44, as well as 2 Peter 1, verses 4 through 8, we'll spend some time taking a look at what Christ in you the hope of glory actually looks like. You see, as we'll begin today, we'll remind it of the fact that we were liberated, set free to bear fruit. Here's Pastor Jessica Stand with more on today's broadcast of Way of Grace. Revelation chapter 7, briefly as we make our way to Matthew 21, where our text is, Revelation chapter 7, I want to remind you in a vivid illustration of what we were talking about last week, which really today's message is an extension of that as we are contemplating how important fruit is to God. I reminded you last week that God is patient with us, is he not? God's patience has inherent in it his goodness. Paul told us in Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Do you not know that it is the patience of God, the goodness of God in his patience that's designed to lead to salvation? And it was Peter who made that same observation in 2 Peter 3, 15, when he says, Do you not know that the long suffering of the Lord is designed for one thing, for men and women to be saved? And what we said last week was, presently God is holding back his wrath. Revelation 7, 4, please. Presently, God is holding back his wrath. It's hanging over all of humanity as we speak. For the wrath of God abides upon all who are not believing. With his left hand, he is holding back his wrath. And with his right hand, he is calling men and women to salvation. Can you see that picture? And I want you to get a graphic of it now because every day you and I live, we are living only by the mercies of God. New mercies I find every day. I heard the number, uh, go back to verse 1, will you? I want to build this, Revelation 7, 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth. Do you get the picture? 
universality all over the world, four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. Verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to do what? Hurt the earth and the sea. Verse 3, saying, do not hurt the sea, the earth or the sea, nor the trees until we have what? Sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. His left hand holds back his wrath. His right hand is called calling men and women to Christ in order that we might be saved and what? Sealed. Saved and sealed. Saved and sealed. Daily God is redeeming men and women from danger. Daily God is saving men and women. And it might be you today that saved today from the wrath of God. You now have been told the wrath of God hangs on our head. You have also been told that God is calling men and women to repentance, to salvation. That is the good old-fashioned gospel message, is it not? For why would you die in your sins? Come to Christ today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be what? Oh, God is merciful, is he not? Every day we live, God is merciful to us. And I've told you before, do you know what God is doing every day that time elapses? He is reserving the wicked for the day of judgment. That's what your Bible says. And he's preserving the righteous for the day of glory. I told you that God reserves the wicked. And that's not my opinion, that's Bible. Job tells us this very clearly in the book of Job, chapter 21, verse 30. Pull it up for people to see it. God reserves you. He allows you to live. He allows you to go about your life. He allows you to enjoy his world. He allows you to enjoy the benefits of life. That's called reservation. Did you know you have a reservation with God? But reservation, ladies and gentlemen, is different than preservation. For God doesn't seal everyone. He only seals those who believe the gospel. So you might be today reserved, but you may not be what? Preserved. The wicked is what? Reserved to the day of destruction. They shall be brought forth to the day of wrath. I would hate to believe that every day that I'm living, that I'm simply being reserved for a day when God will call me forth and make me answer for the life that I have lived. I would hate to believe that all I'm doing is abiding my time until I face God. I would hate to believe that I am not living in the favor of God, in the blessing of God, in the mercy of God. I'd hate to believe that I am not one of those who are sealed. And the Bible tells us if you are in Christ, he has sealed you unto the day of redemption. What does that mean? When you're in Christ, God preserves you by saving your life by giving you life from the dead and then preserving you against any kind of destruction that might come. All of God's people are preserved. Now, we learned something about this from the country, didn't we? When you want to preserve some peaches, you prepare them properly, right? And you put all the elements in it, right? And then you have what is called a sealed jar. Y'all old folk know what I'm talking about. A sealed jar. Watch this now. 
so that the contents on the inside are protected from the elements on the outside. And what God does with his elect is saves them, deposit the riches of the glory of Christ in their soul, and then seals them by the Holy Ghost and keeps them to the day of redemption. That's what you ought to be shouting about. I'm not reserved. I'm what? Preserved by the grace of God. And God's patience to, today for me and for those of you who trust him has moved from goodness to sweetness. Because didn't we learn last week that God has a plan? And that plan is a sweet plan for those who know him, right? Oh, taste and see that the Lord, he is what? And in reality, when you come to know God's salvation in Christ, every day is sweet, even if it's filled with trouble. Every day is sweet. The believer has everything to hope in and to rejoice in when you come to know God. You know your days are numbered. You know God has his hand on you. You know God is providing for you and God is keeping you. But what we learned last week was in Luke 13, the account warned us of God's patience and God's plan because in God's plan, he was expecting what? Fruit. He was expecting fruit. And what we concluded last week in point number three is no fruit is an option. Not bearing fruit is no option with the people of God. Isn't that what we learned? The idea that I or you or we are the people of God and we are, un, or we are barren and unfruitful as we learned in Second Peter chapter 1 that if we do not add to our faith virtue and knowledge and temperance and all of those other characteristics, then we might very well end up barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of God. Does the Word of God encourage us to be fruitful? Does the Word of God encourage us to grow and mature? Right, and, and, and where we are in our thoughts about that today really correspond with going back now to Matthew 21, where the Lord gives another parable that is uh, really a commentary on Luke 13. In Matthew 21, the parable was so explicit and so clear where the owner of the vineyard is coming for fruit and the husbandmen, they totally disregard him. Is that right? And in the context in which that's being developed in Matthew 21, what we discover is that Jesus is able to lead these people to a conclusion over in verse 41. And they said unto him, not Jesus, but the rulers, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall do what? Render unto him the fruits thereof. They drew the right conclusion, didn't they? Jesus says over in verse 42, did you never read in the scriptures how the stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. He was prophesying how Israel would reject Jesus. He's letting them know you are the very people of whom Psalm 118 is speaking. And then he says in verse 43, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation doing what? Bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now let me ask you the question, saints. Who is that nation? It's the church of the living God. Didn't we conclude last week that all Israel was the church in the wilderness and God expected fruit from them? And the New Testament church takes up where they left off. And is it not logical that God would expect fruit from us? And this is why Christ said it will be taken from you, the kingdom, and given to a nation bearing the fruits thereof. This is where you and I are compelled today 
to take when we hear a message as difficult as last week's was and ask the question when we hear it. Two things we want to ask. Am I a fruit-bearing Christian? Am I a fruit-bearing Christian? Is that a good question to write? Right, but there's one a little bit more salient, and it is it's actually a, um, a precursor to this last one. Uh, we have many brothers and sisters at Grace who are erudite, uh, knowledgeable, hungry of truth, and particularly my sisters, and they will ask me quickly. One raised the question after the message in an email, Pastor, what is fruit? Isn't that a good question? What is fruit? Now, if you actually knew your Bible, you'd know the answer, but that's okay. That's my job to teach. Because you did get the message last week, no fruit is not an option. And when we looked at that point, there were three subpoints under there, and there was a third subpoint that I didn't deal with. Under those two previous subpoints, what we discovered was there was a person in the name of Gehazi, Gehazi, who should have borne fruit but didn't, right? Everything he did proved to be unprofitable because his walk with God wasn't right. I asked a third question in there. Is it so much about what we can't do or what we won't do? So let me press this home. If as Isaiah chapter 5 puts it, God said, what more could I have done with my vineyard than I did? I removed the stones. I fenced it about. I put a tower in it. I placed that vineyard in the choices of the mountains. I gave it everything necessary for it to bear fruit. Now, on God's side of the equation, he did all he needed to do. Why then would you or I not bear fruit when God has given us everything by which to bear fruit? Can the answer be, I can't bear fruit or I won't bear fruit? What's the answer? I won't. This is why Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 40, he says in verse 39, you are searching the scriptures and in them you think you have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me. And then he says in verse 40, but you will not come to me that you might have life. Do you see it? He told his own nation, the problem is not that you can't. Don't lie on God when he has given us everything necessary for life and godliness. The failure will never be on God. It will always be on who? On us. Jesus exposed Israel for not coming to Christ. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't come to Christ, can you expect to bear fruit? And this is where we are in our topic today. I want to press home the reality to you and I that fruit bearing is absolutely the uh, objective and purpose of God in our life. Now, when the question was raised to me, what is fruit? Let me begin to give you a fundamental definition of what we mean in the spiritual sense of what fruit is. Here's what I want you to capture. Fruit is always the direct outcome of labor connected to it. Fruit is always the direct outcome of some labor connected to it. Whenever you see fruit, whenever you see good works, what precedes fruit are good works, and they are synonymous in the Bible, is a labor connected to it. Somewhere behind the scenes, someone or something is laboring to produce that fruit. Does that make sense? Fruit does not just appear like whammo. Fruit is always the consequence of labor. So that good works and good fruit have an antecedent. 
and the antecedent to all good works and good fruit is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And when the Bible says you and I are, to, are called to produce fruit, it must be the fruit of what? Faith. So faith produces fruit. Now what produces faith? Well, faith only works by one other principle. Y'all should have learned that by now. What is it? Love. Faith works by love. Galatians 5.5 5 tells us that faith works by love. So when you see fruit in somebody's life, you know that that is a consequence of a vital living faith. And when you see faith in somebody's life, you know that that is a consequence of a vital river of love. Y'all follow the logic? Love is the river stream that produces faith in the heart. Now faith is the substance of things what? Hope for the evidence of things what? Therefore, you can't see a person's faith. The only way you know they have authentic faith is by their what? Works. Their fruit. Faith without what? Is what? And so what you and I really want to do now is work through. We have a profession. We say we are believers. We say we're children of God. But do we bear the fruits that affirm our profession of faith? And does the river of love, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, sustain our faith so that it expresses itself in good deeds and good works and the fruit that God said he will bring the kingdom to a nation bearing the fruits thereof. Is that a good question? Is that a good topic? Can we work through that? All right, let me, let me begin to actually work through a whole nother concept around this. A nation bearing the fruits thereof, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I just said in a, a moment ago that all proper good works and all truly good fruit has as its antecedent faith. Y'all got that? And faith must be preceded by love, and that love is the love of God that is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. In reality, that love of God is really Christ in you, the hope of glory. So without Christ in you, you will bear no fruit. Christ in you, therefore, is the ground and basis for anything that proceeds from us that God would constitute good works or good fruit. Now, as we think about this, I want you to go to point number one in your Bible. You and I were liberated in order to do what? Bear fruit. Do you see that? Look with me in Romans chapter 7, verses 4 through 6. Let me show you something germane to what we're talking about today. Before I launch into the 10 categories of fruit that are in your outline, in the New Testament, there are at least 12 explicit kinds of fruit that you and I can contemplate and think through as to whether or not we have them or whether or not we don't and to what degree, etc. That's a little bit subjective, I know, but you certainly want to be able to ask yourself, do I bear the marks of a true believer? Is there fruit in my life that really affirms my salvation or am I fooling myself? Now in Romans 7, what Paul does is shows us how that when we were saved, God delivered us from a husband who had rule over us before our salvation, and that husband was called the law. The law had rule over us, dominion over us, and it had the right to declare whether we were right or wrong, and that husband always told us we were wrong. 
Now, the way Paul uses the analogy is to show you how important um, our relationship with God in Christ is. Let me start back at verse 2. Back at verse 2. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he lives. But if the husband be dead, she is what? Loose from the law of her husband. Verse 3. So then, while her husband lives, if she be married to another, she shall be called a what? But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another. Now, Paul has set the paradigm up of the only way you can be liberated from your former husband is by death. Now, notice what he says in verse 4. Here it is. This is what I want you to get. Wherefore, my brethren, you are also become dead to the law by the what? In order that you should be what? Christ died to liberate you from marriage to the law in order that you might be married to him. Now stay here, because you, if you call yourself a believer, you can be single, but you're married. And your marriage to Christ matters imminently. Now watch this. He says that you should be married to another, even him who is raised from the what? In order that we might what? Bring fruit unto God. Oh, marriage equals fruit. Marriage equals fruit. It's so sad that in our present generation that does not play out well in human marriages. Because God designed it for that purpose. God designed human marriages to bear fruit. And not just children. But the Imago Dei and the character of God and the attributes of God in a heterosexual union between a man and woman where the glory of God would be manifested in their life, working together cooperatively, entering into that deep, deep, deep conjugal union that results in children, a type of what occurs when you are truly saved. Y'all following me? In other words, under point number one, there are three subpoints I want you to capture before we go into our work. Point number one says, you were liberated to what? You and I were liberated to bear fruit. Subpoint A, the crucified Christ did what? Purchase your freedom. Did we get that in verse four? Christ died in order to liberate you in freedom from the law. The crucified Christ, your, his death and your union with him in his death liberated you from the law. It liberated you from the curse of the law. There is therefore now no what? Condemnation to those that are in Christ. I've been set free from all of the old condemnation that God justly had against me when I was married to his law. Is that true? That's what Romans 8 verse 1 and 2 plainly says. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ who walk not after the what? That's a description of what a believer is, a person who doesn't walk after the flesh, but after the what? Now look at verse 2. Here it is. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has done what? Set me free from the law of sin and death. From the law of sin and death. It liberated me. According to Romans chapter 6, when Christ died, I died. And according to Romans chapter 6, pull up Romans 6, 8. Notice what it says in Romans 6, 8. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also what? So now in your, in your first point, you were liberated to bear fruit. The crucified Christ purchased your freedom. The resurrected Christ, what? Produces new life in you. 
Every time someone is baptized, the picture is they have been brought into union with Jesus. And when they go into the water, they go in with Christ and they what? Die. And when they come out of the water, what are they declaring? That as Christ rose from the dead, even so we walk in what? Newness of life. In other words, watch this now because this is getting to my point. If you are a Christian, your life is Christ's life in you. That'll conclude our time today here on Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan, the Ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. We thank you for spending time with us. Trust that as you do walk through God's Word with us, you're growing in grace, growing in your relationship with Christ and your love and adoration to Him. As we conclude our time together today, we would like to remind you that if today's broadcast was impact to you, maybe it really blessed you, or maybe you've got a question or two that to listen to this program again would help out. Well, we have CDs available when you call or write to us, or if you wish, simply stop by our website and download the audio file from the website. Our web address is grace-bible.com. Rather simple. Again, grace-bible.com. Or contact us by phone at 510-886-9782. That's 510-886-9782. If you're writing to us, the address is 22768 Main Street. And that's here in Hayward. The zip code is 94541. Again, that's 22768. Main Street, Hayward, California, 94541 is the zip code. We ask for $5 per CD, or again, as mentioned, simply stop by our website and you can listen to the message in its entirety or download the MP3 version, grace-bible.com. One final note, we're inviting you to join us for worship. Sunday services are at 11 a.m. with Sunday school at 10 a.m. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study at 8 p.m. We'd love for you to stop by and join us for worship, especially if you're not involved in a fellowship at this time. And then, of course, the Friday Bible study. We have folks from all kinds of churches all over the Bay Area joining us at 8 p.m. It's a marvelous time of studying God's Word together as a company of believers. Again. For directions, simply go to grace-bible.com or call 510-886-9782. Thank you for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.